why us is just giving prospects yet another option to consider and they've got too many options as it is a why us not them story a category story is a way to give customers permission to make them feel confident to you know lump all these other solutions into this undesirable bucket of sameness choose you and get on with life we all strive for more nowadays more traffic more revenue more growth in this never-ending battle for more it's easy to forget what's important so what is important building real relationships with real humans and trying to be better each day without caring quite so much about getting more. After all, by building real and meaningful relationships, you'll have way more than you ever need. The SaaS SEO Show is a platform for meaningful connections and honest conversations with people who are real, hardworking practitioners and high performers in the SaaS industry. We're here to learn and get inspired by them, and we hope you do too. Now, here's your host, George Cassiotis. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the SaaS SEO. So I'm your host, George Cassiotis, and today I'm very excited to be joined by Jos Garofal. Jos is the SaaS consultant and copywriter at SwayCopy.com with clients like HubSpot, Wave, Unbound, Hotjar, and the list goes on. Nowadays, Jos is focused on customer and competitor research, crafting his client's category story, and then infusing website, uh, web pages, email, sales decks, and more with this story. Jos, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So before we uh, get started with the really interesting stuff, I would like to uh, know uh, a couple of things about you for people who don't know uh, who you are and what your background is. Uh, what has brought you to where you are today? So how far back do you want to go? <laughs> as far as you want to go. I don't, I don't mind really. Okay, I, I won't go all the way back to the beginning, but uh, I guess I would say I really made this choice to go in this direction in university. So I was preparing for med school. That's what I thought I was going to do. And I overheard... Um, someone talking about a new campus that was being built at the university where it was going to be super high tech and they were more or less creating like an MBA focused on digital business. At the same time, I was hearing about the local startup scene getting heated up. We had an accelerator center out here that had gotten started and I kind of decided on the spot to make like a 180 and say, you know, goodbye to four years of med school and two years of a, of a internship and whatnot, but then just go straight into this. Um, so I did that master's program uh, my capstone project was with a B2B SaaS startup, and that obviously leads us to where we are today. Um, so I did that capstone project. I got hired on as their first marketer. I think I was the fifth or sixth employee. And it was while I was there that among my many tasks that come with being part of a startup was writing copy for a web page. And I realized I had absolutely no idea how to do this. Um, so I started researching and like most people, I came across Joanna Weeb and copy hackers. Um, and at the time she happened to be running this competition on her site where, you know, you leave a comment and I believe it was like the most persuasive or interesting comment, won a ticket to microconf, which have you been there before microconf? No. It's, it's an amazing conference and I don't say that about many conferences, but anyways, I want to take it to microconf to see her speak in Las Vegas. And while there, um, I asked her, you know, what should I do next? And she said, well, you should probably start a business as a, as a copywriter. And I kind of did. I started swaycopy.com. 
like two days later on like a cheap template WordPress website. And I was going to just kind of write about what I was learning about um, SaaS copywriting um, as part of the startup. I wrote a couple of mediocre posts, but because I was early, um, two, two people who had become clients reached out to me to ask if I could write copy for them. I said yes, I named a price. Um, it got busy and lucrative enough that I was able to quit my job, and that was 2015. So I've been doing this on my own since 2015. That's, that's really interesting. Um, so you started in 2015. Uh, where is uh, Sway Copy today and uh, what is that you do exactly? Um, what are the companies that work with you uh, and who gets the most value out of the service actually? Sure, yeah. So I've worked with a wide range of customers or clients from you know, small, successful bootstrap companies all the way up to publicly traded companies like HubSpot. Um, but the sweet spot for me is definitely that Series A, Series B company where you know they've raised money, they've got budget, and now it's time to I like to say like grow up. Like they they started with a, as a scrappy little company, a good little product. They found some product market fit, but now it's time to uh, position it and communicate uh, what it is you do in such a way that you're able to expand uh, that market share. And that's that's a sweet spot for me in terms of what I do for them. It's almost always uh, an in-depth uh, customer and competitor research phase, which is where we start. It's um, capturing that voice of the customer through interviews and surveys and message mining. It's um, then prioritizing like where we where we should focus. So not so much you know clients saying we need these three pages. It's instead they come to me. I do the research and I kind of tell them where we should focus. Um, and then it's it's executing on those things. Um, so in terms of how that's changed over the years. You know, when I first started, I was that copywriter who took orders. You need eight emails, I'm writing eight emails, like no questions asked. Whereas now it's much more of a strategic partnership where they're coming to me because I've seen the insides of, you know, 100 plus SaaS companies, what works and what doesn't work. And they need me to sort of guide that process and get to this point where they're well positioned uh, to compete and uh, they actually know like where they need to focus in terms of copy. So. You know, whether that's certain web pages, landing pages, emails, and so on. This brings me to the next question that, that I have, and it's connected to the interview that you gave for the Growth Marketing Today podcast, where you said that in, in several cases, companies come to you and they think that, you know what, our problem is with copy. We need copy for uh, this landing page or whatever. But the, the problem may be a bit deeper, and it may have to do with things that, are outside of copy, such as positioning, such as product, and so on. And so my question is, do you see that as a pattern? And if yes, then what is the right time for companies, even though you, you touched on that a bit earlier, uh, when it comes to the stage at least, uh, for companies to say that, you know what, it, it's obvious that our issue is issue with copy. We, we need copywriting. Yeah, I absolutely do see that. And that's probably why um, I actually tweeted about this, I think, earlier this week, where I'm starting to see experienced copywriters like myself. We almost become product marketers out of necessity because of exactly what you said. A company will reach out. They say we need a landing page. And after enough repetitions, I realize 
that they might need a landing page, but there's a lot broken uh, beforehand before we can actually ex execute on a landing page that's going to get them the results they're after. And so we work our way up the chain in understanding customers and competitors and doing all of that research. So yeah, usually you know people will still come to me and they'll think they need a landing page, but I've just gotten a lot better at kind of taking a step back and walking them through everything that we need to do first so that we can execute on this landing page if that's indeed what we need. But we can also execute on all these other things and it's going to be consistent and um, effective across you know all of their, their marketing and sales assets. So I definitely see that a lot. In terms of when they actually just need copy for a landing page, they have positioning and messaging strategy locked in. It's doing well elsewhere. So, you know, they might need this landing page to um, talk about their product in such a way that this specific role or vertical will, will understand and resonate with. But everything else that they've done before that is effective. So for the other verticals are doing a good job on their other main web pages are doing a really good job. It's effective. They just need help kind of taking that and applying it to this new vertical. That would be a situation where, you know, they might actually just need the copy. But that's quite rare. Um, in, in SaaS anyways, for, for, for what I come across, it's, it's pretty rare that they actually just need that copy. Okay, okay, that makes sense. I'd like us to talk about uh, category story a bit. And before we discuss anything else, I would like to hear your opinion as to whether um, category creation uh, in SaaS specifically is still a thing. And I'm only asking because I have the sense that in many cases, founders especially, you know, ambitious ones uh, who may even want to raise money. And this is a, you know, a great slide for their pitch deck. We are creating a new category uh, to serve with their investors. Do you think that category creation is still a thing? Um, and why is it that most companies feel that they have created a new category, while in most cases, it's not exactly a new category? Uh, I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. So it's it's definitely still a thing. Um, if anything, I would say it's more of a thing now than at any other time that I've been working in this area. Um, I'm getting founders of small companies where there's like one to three employees. They haven't even raised any money yet, and they think they're going to create a new category. And you know, I, I want to say it's always a bad idea, but that's very absolute. I want to say it's almost always a terrible idea to create a new category, especially if you don't have a ton of funding. Um, it's just such an uphill battle. First, it's, it's hard to get a market to even notice that you exist and to care about you. It's even harder to first create a category that people think about so that they're actually searching for a company, a solution in this category, and then, and then create a company within that new category that is the winner. Um, and so like if, if, if you don't have a ton of funding and a massive team to actually pull this off, it's almost always better to find a category that you can slot your product into and have an advantage, um, at least for some segment of that, of that category. So, for example, you know, ConvertKit didn't create a new category. Instead, they looked at the email marketing category where there was an obvious giant MailChimp and active campaign and some other ones. And they said, um, you know, this creator, this blogger, they're being underserved. And there's certain things that that segment of this market um, would love to have in a, in a product connected to their email marketing that these bigger players are never going to do. So let's be, you know, the email marketing solution and then later the marketing platform 
for bloggers and creators. They'll never be bigger than MailChimp, but they're doing 20 million plus a year, which is an amazing business by most people's standards with a small, tight-knit team. Like that's a successful company. And so they could have had this idea that we need to create uh, like the the marketing category for like, you know, a blogger, blogger and creator platform. Like that's a new category. Let's make people care about that. But instead they did the smart thing, which was slot themselves into an established category where people are already educated and interested and um, found a segment of that, uh, that, that category. That's, that's a good fit for them. Um, and what was the second part of that question? I guess um, I, I'm, I'm really interested to know um, whether or not, you know, category creation is still a thing, obviously. Uh, and I could connect that to, to what I was thinking next, which is essentially uh, where category story fits in that picture, you know. Uh, okay, that's a thing. Uh, and it's, it may be in most cases a bad idea to create a new category for several reasons. Some of them you already mentioned. Um, where does category uh, story fits into that picture? And, you know, how... Uh, can it help companies uh, tell a better story uh, without having to create a new category? Got it. Yeah, I will talk about that, but now I just remembered the second part of the question, which was, um, uh, do you find that founders think they're creating a category when they're actually not? And yeah, the short answer to that is yes, that happens. And what, what it tends to be is they've added you know, a feature or a capability that isn't seen in other products in that category. And so they think they're doing something completely new but they're not. They've just got a slight um, advantage, perhaps, differentiation for now until those companies copy them and then they're all going to look the same. Assuming that feature is is considered valuable by the market, like it will be copied. Uh, it, it always is. Yeah. So, well, yeah. One feature, though, cannot, you know, like justify believing that you are creating a new category, which is exactly no. what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's what I run into a lot. And it's like, no, you, you're not creating a category, but this is interesting. Maybe it will help you um, separate yourselves from the pack for a little bit until they catch up. Um, so yeah, that's, that happens all the time. So in terms of, you know, what a category story is and, and how this fits in, um, I think it's helpful to kind of go back through the history of SaaS, and I'll do this quickly so that no one falls asleep. But if you think about, you know, just after Salesforce did the heavy lifting of teaching the market that SaaS is a viable way to deliver a product, so that's already been taken care of by Salesforce. Thank you, Salesforce. Um, the next, the next phase after that was if you had a good product to a problem that people cared about, like that's good enough. There's not a lot of competition. There's not a lot of heavy marketing happening. It's just like if you have a product, you're probably one of the only ones that actually have a good product to that, to that problem. So that, that's the very early days. Then after that, you know, marketers start to start, start to join the the fold. Um, products are becoming more plentiful and better. Then you need to be able to describe your product in a way that end users and buyers can understand, which a lot of companies were doing a very terrible job of. So if you had a good product and you described your product well, that was probably enough to stand out in you know, your category. But again, you know, marketers catch on, they realize they need to talk about their product clearly. And so eventually that's not enough anymore to stand out. And the next phase after that, which is kind of where I got involved in SaaS was this idea of voice of the customer. So good product, got to be described clearly. But now you have to also do it in a way that reflects back, you know, the desires, the goals, the pain points of customers in their own words, using their words, their phrases to describe your, your product. And that 
then creates this um, scenario where your copy, your messaging is a lot more compelling and persuasive. That was enough to stand out and I would argue that now we've reached a phase, and this is where the category story comes in, where it's time to add the next layer onto the cake. You still need all of those things. They're all very important. They're essential, but they're not enough, I would argue, to, to separate yourself from the pack. And so, you know, where I left off there, the voice of the customer, that was a way that you could tell a compelling why us story. This is why you should choose us. But now market categories, super crowded. Marketers have gotten very good at this. And so you have a whole bunch of why us stories for similar products speaking to similar customers. And so they all start to sound the same despite doing it right. And the category story then adds to this by making a why us and not them story. So it's no longer enough to say why us. Why us is just giving prospects yet another option to consider and they've got too many options as it is. A why us, not them story, a category story is a way to give customers permission to make them feel confident to you know, lump all these other solutions into this undesirable bucket of sameness, choose you and get on with life. And I think that is where we're at right now. And that's why I started, you know, CategoryStory.com, the newsletter, because I think this is the thing that marketers and you know, SaaS founders can lean on to sort of get that edge for the next three to five years until everybody catches on, the market's even more crowded and everyone's doing this. And then we have to find sort of the next, the next thing that we can use to, to get that bump for the next three to five years. I guess that this involves talking to actually going on and like interviewing customers, yes? Yes, I, I do interview customers, and I would have interviewed customers for that you know that previous layer, that voice of the customer bit. But now it's um, a little bit more focused on you know which other solutions were you considering? What have you used in the past? You know what did you or didn't you like about those solutions? What caused you to look for a new solution? Why did you choose us? That's where we're going to start to find those. Um, those messages and sometimes even the testimonials. So it's not just my client speaking badly about their, their competitors, obviously they're biased, but act, my actual client's customers, bad mouthing, I guess you could say, the competitors um, and, and giving us that, that fodder that we need to, uh, to make a good case about why you should stop your search right now, choose us and, and forget about trying to split hairs between these seven other solutions, which all kind of look the same. Um, and a real example of that would be uh, you know, Snappa versus Canva and Photoshop. Um, Snappa was a client of mine, bootstrap company doing about 2 million ARR, I believe now. Um, and yeah, we, we interviewed customers. We found people who switched from Canva and we looked for those underlying patterns about why they switched, what, what they didn't like about Canva that they liked, especially about uh, Snappa. And that became a core part of our messaging, our versus pages, but even the homepage and, and pricing pages. Um, everything about the company can be uh, more or less uh, guided by, by that competitor research. But does that have to do solely, like is it limited only to features or benefits or it's, it's even deeper than that? Yeah, it can go a bit deeper than that. For example, going back to that Snappa versus Canva story, um, one thing that we really latched on to, and it kind of worked out well with my, with my uh, client's business name, um, the word clunky came up over and over again when we were talking to people about Canva. Canva is obviously an awesome product, otherwise it wouldn't be huge. And for a lot of people, it's the better product. But for a certain segment of people, 
a certain segment of the market, Snap is better because it's fast. There's not nearly as many features. There's no menus within menus. The load screens are quick. You don't have to necessarily pay for you know individual images or or assets. It's all built into Snap. And for a certain customer, that is way better than what Canva had to offer. And so we zoomed in on that idea of clunky, which isn't just a feature. It's it's bigger than that. It's it's like you said, it's it's kind of part of the product. It's part of the experience of Canva. So we said, you know, Canva is clunky, Snap is your snappy alternative. And for for a certain customer that that really resonated, especially if you had experienced uh, what what customers refer to as clunky in Canva. Okay, okay. That that's that's interesting. Um, Obviously, and uh, reading your uh, your latest uh, tweets, I, I saw that you share this uh, thought as well. SaaS is moving toward um, commoditization. Yeah, like you 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 literally take a look at ten different websites in the same category, let's say, and they look very much alike. Uh, and I'm really concerned as to what companies can actually do in order to stand out. And I guess that. Telling their category story, uh, as you explained, uh, can be uh, one of these ways. But are there any other ways uh, they can achieve, um, you know, differentiating themselves from competition? And I have an example in my mind. When I, when I think about doing some, a company that does something different, I have uh, gong.io in my mind. They are doing marketing in a different way. Um, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. Um, on whether or not there is something more that companies can do besides, obviously, uh, what you already shared with us. Yeah, so I guess another layer on top of that. So if you were to think about you know, all those layers that I was talking about, product, clear messaging, voice of customer, category story, the icing on top of that might be something that I call moonshot messaging, which is it captures the sentiment of the customer. So you're doing those interviews and you're hearing something over and over again, but then you need to find a way to say it that is... Um, noticeable and memorable. So it might be a little bit jarring, risky, just something you wouldn't expect. So a real life example of this would be Coda and their headline, Enough of This Sheet, which is, you know, they're they're going against spreadsheets. So I highly doubt any customer actually spoon fed them that phrase, enough of this sheet. But what they did is they got had a lot of customers complain about spreadsheets and their copywriter or marketer, whoever did it, kind of took that sentiment and came up with a way to say it that's a little bit risky that you can't, like, I, I can't forget it. I don't use Coda. They're not a product that I use. I'm not familiar with it at all. But once I read it, it's always in my head. And I know that in the future, if I'm looking for something that is sort of the evolution of spreadsheets, they're going to be more or less top of mind um, because, because of that headline. So I think that's a way to differentiate. Another way is, you know, you mentioned Gong. Um, it's becoming more common now because it, it's worked, but their their visuals uh, <laughs> just like very out there compared to what you would typically see from a company in that space uh, targeting the, the types of customers that they're going after. And now you're starting to see that same type of approach work for Dooley. I don't know if you've seen Dooley. They've raised a bunch of money recently, but also very similar. I think them and Gong kind of even work together, so they're not even competing. But uh, you know, they've, they've kind of used that, that jarring visual that once you see it, it's, it's just very different than everything else you've seen. And sometimes that's half the battle is just to have, just to be um, distinct enough that, um, you know, when, when, you're, when you're thinking about brands, they, they come top of mind because they, they're just different than the other ones. Um, not necessarily better, but different. 
Um, the other thing is, I guess you can you can also differentiate with um, by removing friction in places that are very common in your space. So if you've heard of ramp.com, which does like corporate credit card and expense software, um, you know, the, the people that you typically think of when you think of corporate credit cards is like banks. And if you go to a corporate credit card um, page on a bank, it looks exactly as you would think. The text is small, it's dense, there's different conditions you have to meet. There's a lot of friction, as you would expect. Whereas Ramp, their sign-up process, their onboarding is very similar to what you'd expect from you know, consumer SaaS. It's enter your email address and get set up in 15 minutes. So that's a way to dif differentiate from uh, in a bunch of competitors in a, in a crowded category. Does that help? Oh. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think I think that's more than enough. And by the way, I have seen that headline by Coda, uh, uh, was it? Right. And I think that in that case, I really like the the graph that they have. Uh, it was, I think, an image of uh, of a lady with um, yeah, she said a, a, face a, yeah with <laughs> exactly. And I think it was it was perfect. Yeah, I have a screenshot of it. Uh, but the fact so, that you remember that is amazing, right? Because yeah. think about how many SaaS websites you've seen, but you remember that one. So I remember that. That's, one. that's half the battle when things are getting crowded and marketers are starting to do a better and better job of communicating, um, you know, what they do and who they do it for. I agree. I agree. I would like to shift gears a bit and discuss something that I believe has been abused when it comes to the SaaS, you know, uh, marketing, let's say, uh, world, which is competitor pages. Um, mm -hmm. And I would like to hear your thoughts when it comes to um, competitor uh, pages. First, the first question that I have is, should companies um, talk about their competitors at all? Okay. And the second uh, question that I have, if they do, if they do talk about their competitors, what should they uh, pay attention to? Got it. Yeah. So I can talk through a, a few different scenarios. Um, so the first one, if you are the incumbent in the space, you know, a leader, the MailChimp or the Salesforce, you should not talk about your competitors because you're already top of mind for pretty much everybody. The chances are mentioning competitor, if it does anything, it's just going to alert potential customers to alternatives that they should also be considering alongside you. So yeah, if you're MailChimp, if you're Salesforce in your space, don't do it. And that's probably not most people, just, <laughs> just because most people aren't the leader. Um, but beyond that, I do think competitor pages have a place. And sometimes this idea of the category story, because it's still new, gets mixed up with this idea that, oh, so this is just competitor pages. That's one output that you could have. Um, it's kind of the most explicit and focused output that you could have. And it's... The problem with competitor pages is they're usually done poorly. They have, you know, that uh, they'll have a table that compares you with four other competitors based on a bunch of features. And the features that you include in the left-hand column are obviously the ones that you have and they don't. And everyone knows that this is happening. And so those tables, they don't really mean that much. Um, but where they can become a lot more powerful, um, and this is what I did with Snappa versus Canva, is when the advantages of your product and the drawbacks of the competitor aren't your words it's the customer's words so you know i was not i was not writing things on that snappa versus canva page that were not backed up by testimonials from customers and so that sort of establishes this idea that um you know 
yes, we're, we're, we're saying poor things about the competitor, we're naming them, but it's not me, you know, the company being biased. This is just what customers, people like you who have made this decision are saying. And so I think that's an important um, element to bake into a versus page. Um, in terms of other mistakes that are made, I mentioned obviously the the feature comparisons. You can do that, but it's it's weak. Everyone kind of everyone already kind of knows um, uh, how, how that works. Yeah, yeah it's it, it's very biased. And the other the other issue that a lot of people make with their competitor pages is they focus on the wrong competitors. So if you're in a relatively um, you know new category or a, a niche within a category, it's very tempting to make competitor pages for the competitors that are most like you. But if you actually interviewed your customers and surveyed them and asked them what they were considering, they're almost always not considering the other small solutions that are just like you. They're considering the incumbent or an old way of doing things like using an intern, using a spreadsheet. Um, and so what happens is if you're a relatively small company and you're doing competitor pages against companies that are small just like you and similar to you, what happens is, for one, you introduce them to new um, alternatives that they should consider. So you're actually making their choice harder, and it's less likely they're going to end up choosing you. Um, and the other thing is, your page is not going to be, going to be that compelling because they're so similar to you. Um, they're doing exactly the same thing as you. Whereas with the incumbent, you can usually make the case that, yeah, you know, they're big, they have all these features, but they don't do this thing that you care about, or they have all these other features that you don't care about, and that's what we can do different. You can actually make a compelling, like, why us and not them argument versus them, or a why us argument versus us and spreadsheets, or um, hiring an intern, or using an agency, or a consultant, or a copywriter, or whatever it might be. Um, so I think those are some of the big mistakes that... Uh, versus competitor pages make. And of course, I will say disclaimer, make sure your legal team is comfortable with you uh, naming. Uh, I haven't heard of anyone getting in trouble for this. Um, and I think it helps if you're not making claims, but instead just kind of taking what your customers have actually already said about the competitor. Um, but yeah, if, if you have a legal team or if you're, if you're nervous at all, run a, run a by a lawyer for sure. That's that's a very good uh, advice there. Um, I remember a while back I saw, I don't know if they still have it on the website, but I saw Slack essentially picking a fight with email. And uh, their messaging was uh, Slack replaces email within your organ organization. And I, and I found it brilliant. You know, even though a bold move, it's brilliant. You know, uh, we, we replace email. And most people feel somehow, um, I don't know, mixed feelings about their emails. So, I think this was a bold move about on, on, on Slack's behalf. I would like to hear your thoughts on uh, crossing the limits and not just comparing yourself with your direct competitors uh, or you know, other companies in your category, but also with things that you may know that people have in their minds when they are considering solutions. Exactly. Yeah, this gets at a, a bigger idea that I've been thinking about, which is we have product categories, which we've spoken a lot about so far. But I think there's an argument to be made that we should also think about almost like jobs to be done uh, categories. So this would include products that aren't necessarily the same as yours feature for feature, but products that solve the same type of problem. And, and I think this is the Slack versus email. Uh, so, you know, they would not be in the same product category, but they're definitely competing to solve the same problem in very different ways. And yeah, I think that is a play that makes sense a lot of the times, especially when you're in a, in a newer category, which at that time, I'm trying to think with Slack, like 
was there another Slack? Was there was there something similar to a Slack? Yeah. I think they were using they were using the established category of, of email um, as their launching off point. And of course, you know, Slack. How much money did they have? They had they had a lot of money, right? So they were able to kind of make that play. Whereas that's it's riskier for a small company to to do something like that, especially. But uh, yeah, that would be a key example of if if Slack's marketing team. Uh, were to speak to customers of Slack or prospective customers, they would not be hearing about this other small team chat tool. Um, they would be hearing about email uh, through those conversations, and that's why they would have decided to position themselves versus email than something similar to them. Yeah, Big exactly. Mistake that a lot of people don't make, though. Exactly, exactly that. Um, my last question would be for you, even though we touched on, on that uh, throughout this conversation, my last question would be, where do you see all these things go? Like, where is the future uh, of SaaS marketing in general and copywriting more specifically, if you want to talk about that? Where are things going uh, in the future? Yeah, so I think we're just going to see a continuation of the trend, which is, um, you know, SaaS is moving away from rocket ships and towards toilet paper in terms of commoditization. That's not to say SaaS is toilet paper, like it's not as it's not more valuable than toilet paper. It is arguably. <laughs> but uh, but uh, what, what I mean is, you know, going forward, there's just going to be lower barriers to entry, not higher bar- barriers to entry. There's going to be more competitors, not fewer. They're going to do a better job, not a worse job of competing. And so when you get that, what you end up with is categories loaded with perfectly good solutions doing a really good job of communicating what they do. And so we're going to have to start looking outside of SaaS if you haven't already for your marketing and your messaging inspiration. We should be looking at, um, you know, um, CPG, like uh, packaged goods. We should be looking at them for inspiration because they have a long history of trying to win despite competing against very similar uh, products, trying to stand out, be memorable, be noticed. Um, so yeah, to me, that is like the biggest trend that I've got my eyes on right now. And that's where I think this idea of a cat- telling a category story, why us, not them. And this idea of, you know, moonshot messaging, that Coda example, um, saying things that aren't just accurate and, um, that don't just, uh, that aren't relevant to your customers, but kind of go a step further than that and are risky and jarring and um, have stand a chance of actually being noticed and recalled like we both did here, despite not being customers of the company. Um, that's, that's kind of where I see us going. Okay, that was all very insightful. Just where can people uh, find more about you? Yeah, so if this idea of uh, category story, moonshot messaging, if that was interesting to you and you want to learn a little bit more about where I see the space going, CategoryStory.com is my newsletter. It's completely free. Um, and then in terms of working with me, SwayCopy.com is still the be- best place to find me. That's great. So thank you very much for being on the show. Thank you. Another episode of the SaaS SEO Show has wrapped. We hope this episode has taught you something new too. We'd like you to connect with us so you can keep up with all the new content that we're creating. Before you go, it would mean the world to us if you could subscribe to this podcast and over at our YouTube channel, where we upload the video version of this and every episode. Until next time.